Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 53, The First Circumnavigation of the Globe, part one. Before starting today, I just wanted to mention a couple of pieces of news that relate to the last few episodes. First of all, I hope you enjoyed the interview episodes with Walter. If you haven't already listened to them, I really recommend going back. They're really, really interesting. In the first one, we spoke about coronavirus and the impact it's having on Latin America. Well, since then, things seem to only be getting worse. The numbers are going up, and several Latin American leaders have tested positive for the virus. It's also made its way into the indigenous communities of the Amazon, and this is something that I find personally really worrying. Indigenous people everywhere are even more at risk than the general population. Working with the Aboriginal people here in Western Australia, it's something that we and everyone else were really concerned about. Luckily, this state's one of the best places in the world at the moment, in terms of cases, so we haven't had to face the problem. But in the Amazon, it's really worrying. You might remember, in the 50th episode special on Latin American film, I mentioned a film called The Embrace of the Serpent. Well, since recording that, one of the main actors, Antonio Bolivar, who plays the older indigenous guide. Sadly, he's caught the virus and has died. It's too early to tell how badly the indigenous peoples of Latin America are going to be hit, but it's worrying, especially considering how badly the region as a whole is being hit. If you haven't watched it, you should definitely go watch the film. He puts in a great performance, and as I said in the episode, it's a really, really good watch. I've also recently discovered that the director of that film, Cyril Guerra, is also making a TV series about Cortes and the conquest of Mexico. Everything else he's done is really good, so if you enjoyed the story of the conquest, that's worth keeping an eye out for. Speaking of Cortes, his conquest of Mexico was a momentous event, both for Spain and for the rest of Europe. If we look at things Eurocentrically, the conquest will change Europe forever. The age of the colony was now really here. And of course, overseas empires will be one of the major features of European and world history into well into the 20th century. The legacy of this period still hangs over much of current day events. Simultaneously though, while Cortes was in Mexico, and also happening under the banner of Spain, something else was going on. Something which in the long run was probably equally important. We've covered Columbus's journeys, and we know that he was looking for Asia rather than the Americas. I mentioned how, in large part thanks to Cortes in Mexico, 
The Americas will become the primary focus of Spain, and Asia will largely be forgotten. At this point, though, this was not a completely foregone conclusion. The Portuguese have hardly touched the Americas, and were busy travelling around Africa to set up outposts in Asia. There they wanted to get their hands on the lucrative spices that had inspired the Iberian exploration in the first place. The idea that a western route to Asia could be found had not been forgotten, and Spanish explorers were still sailing into every bay they found on the east coast of the Americas, in the hope that there would be a way of getting through to the Pacific. They knew that there was another side to the continent. Balboa had found what he called the South Sea in Panama, and later the Spanish will also reach the Pacific in Mexico as well. This ocean, however, was a mystery. Asia could be just over the horizon for all they knew, and although it was widely accepted that the world could be circumnavigated, it was not proven, nobody had done it. The south of the new American landmass was largely unknown, and so the Spanish reckoned there may be a route through down there. Their explorer, Solis, had gone down as far as the Rio de la Plata, and they hoped it wouldn't be too much further to find a route around or through the continent. Now, I haven't mentioned Solis before. I will talk about him in two episodes' time, as his story ties in nicely to the subject of that episode. Anyway, in September 1519, when Cortes was arriving in Tlaxcala, and about to proceed onwards to reach Tenochtitlan for the first time, a man chosen by the Spanish was setting off into the Atlantic, hoping to find that southern route around the continent, across the Pacific, and to Asia. Just like Columbus, this man was not actually Spanish. Columbus was probably Italian. This man was Portuguese. Ferdinand Magellan came from a noble but not particularly prominent family. His father was the mayor of a town in Portugal's north, and he had sent the young Ferdinand to the royal court to get his education. It wasn't until he was about 40 that Magellan set off for the New World, but between then and his time as a child in the king's palace, he had already fit a lot into his life. His early adulthood coincided with Portugal's first movements in Asia, and as a child, he would likely have heard tales of the voyages of exploration down the African coastline. When Magellan was around the age of 20, Vasco da Gama rounded South Africa and reached India. This sparked the establishment of Portuguese trade posts there, as well as further journeys to the Spice Islands. In 1505, Magellan went to India, where he spent about eight years and fought in at least two naval battles. In one of these he was wounded. Next he was a senior member of a trip to Malacca, a kingdom that straddled the straits between today Singapore and Malaysia on one side, and Indonesia on the other. Later, the Portuguese returned there with the intention to conquer, and Magellan was part of that expedition as well. At the time there was another frontier, in which Portuguese soldiers and sailors could serve, this one a lot closer to home. The Iberian nations were not satisfied to have completed the Reconquista 
and taken the peninsula back from the North Africans. Throughout this period, both Spain and Portugal were constantly campaigning in Morocco. This is where Magellan headed next. Now his life and career had gone very well up until this point, but the next phase would be marked by setbacks. He apparently went on leave without permission, and he was also accused of trading with the enemy. While he was fighting there, he was wounded in the leg, and this would cause him to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. Magellan wanted to turn things around. He wanted to do something big to make a name for himself. The next stage of his career is remarkably similar to that of Columbus. Magellan argued that the Spice Islands could be reached by sailing across the Atlantic, and that this could be a safer way of reaching them than going round the dangerous Horn of Africa. Just as had happened with Columbus, the Portuguese king, who he was trying to persuade, was not going to be persuaded, and so Magellan moved to Spain to try and make his case there. Again like Columbus, the Spanish would eventually be persuaded. However, it would take a few years, time in which Magellan used to marry and start a family. Magellan was given five ships and roughly 270 men. He would not be the only Portuguese sailor. There were around 40 more, as well as a few people from other places. The ship's chronicler, for example, was an Italian named Antonio Pigafetta. Originally the majority of the crew had been made up by his Portuguese countrymen, but the Spanish had decided that given their rivalry, it was not a good idea to have a majority Portuguese crew. Setting off from Andalusia, they had reached the Canary Islands six days later, and two months after that, they reached the coast of Brazil. Now one of the sources I've used to write this mentions an unsuccessful minor mutiny taking place during the Atlantic crossing. I've scoured all the primary sources and cannot find this mentioned anywhere else. The book which mentions it doesn't provide information about where the author obtained the information. And to be honest, the book as a whole reads perhaps like it prioritises drama and storytelling over fact slightly too much. Maybe I'm being harsh, but anyway... A mutiny may or may not have taken place, but either way it will not have any major bearing on the story. Although the Portuguese had not properly settled Brazil, they had explored its coast, and people would go there occasionally to set up camps to collect tropical wood. This meant that Magellan knew of the existence of the Bay of Rio de Janeiro, and that it would be a good place to stop. Once they'd found it, they spent about two weeks there stocking up on water and food and making sure the ships were in the best possible condition. After that they followed the coastline southwards, hoping that it would turn to the west and provide them with their route to the Pacific. About a month later they thought they'd found it. They'd reached a cape and on the other side instead of land was water. Magellan ordered one of his ships to go ahead only for it to return a few days later and report that this was a river. They had refound the Rio de la Plata. Now I'm not sure why, but it appears that Magellan didn't have detailed information about the expedition of Solis. He didn't appear to be expecting to find a large river. 
Because of this, he didn't believe the news that the ship he'd sent ahead brought him. The next few days were spent resailing up that river so that he could have a look for himself. When the river started narrowing, going north, and it turned to fresh water, he was finally convinced. So they continued onwards down the eastern coast of Patagonia. They were getting quite far south now, and so the weather was getting worse. There were storms, and it was getting colder by the day. The seasons in the southern hemisphere are opposite those of the north, making June, July and August midwinter. It was only March, but despite this they were so far south that the weather was getting too bad to sail in. At a place they named Puerto San Julián, about 350 kilometres or 210 miles north of the strait they were looking for, Magellan decided that they would have to stop and wait the winter out. Whatever the truth of that possible Atlantic mutiny, there is no question that the expedition was full of dissent. Part of it probably came down to the Spain-Portugal rivalry, and the majority Spanish crew being unhappy about being led by someone from Portugal. Everyone had hoped or expected to find a route through to the Pacific already, so perhaps people were fed up with the lack of progress and scared by the inhospitable climate they found themselves in. Stopping to see out the winter would not have been part of the plan, and so maybe people were realising that this was going to be a lot harder and longer than they thought. Pigafetta says, In this port, three of the ships rose up against the Captain Major, their captain saying that they intended to take him to Castile in arrest, as he was taking them all to destruction. That's the most I can find about their motivations. The three ship captains rose up against Magellan just one day after they reached Puerto San Julian. Considering there were only five ships in total, it was far from clear that Magellan would be able to come out on top. Details are scarce, but somehow he managed it. One of the rebellious captains died during the fighting. Another was executed afterwards. The third was marooned on a nearby island and never heard from again. Magellan realised that although it was not sensible to carry on at this point, Pigafetta says that there were just four hours of sunlight per day. He risked more unrest if he just sat there for months. He decided to send one ship ahead to see if they could find the strait. All this achieved was to prove the folly of attempting to travel further at this time of year. The ship sailed a short distance until it reached the Santa Cruz River, and then it decided to return. On the way back, a storm hit, and the ship was wrecked. The survivors were washed ashore, and a small number marched 11 days overland to reach the main group and tell them what had happened. Magellan decided that as this new river provided protection for the ships, he may as well move the whole expedition there. And so, they would spend the next six weeks or so at Santa Cruz. And that's where we'll leave them. Next episode, we'll finish off the story. Magellan will find his route to the Pacific. But once there, things will only get more difficult. 
You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.